What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Olm. I hope y'all are having an incredible day so far. Today, we have another Gonzaga legend, Dan DeCow, former NBA veteran, Gonzaga legend. Awesome, awesome dude. We had a great conversation. You're going to get a ton out of this. You know, if, if you're looking for, for stuff to implement into your life, principles, philosophies, we, we talk about his career in the NBA, you know, at the top of his uh, performance days, and then also just kind of the way he approached his life and, and was able to achieve that, that high level of success, how he pushed through people telling him he couldn't do it, and, and just a bunch of different other gems that he drops in this, you know, what it takes to go to that next level in area, any area of life and, and things to look for, things for you to be aware of. Um, not only when things are going good, but also when things are going bad. So there's a ton of value in this. I hope you guys enjoy this content. If you do, let me know. I want to hear the feedback. I, it really it helps me make the episodes better. And really, um, it's just about making it happen. And so the more that you guys give great feedback and, and review and rate the show, the more it grows, the more people get this information and the more awesome people I can get on the podcast like Dan. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, let's just start it off like, you know, you, you're you born in Portland, Oregon, right? And then you go to uh, Brush Prairie, Washington, correct? Um, <laughs> talk about kind of where you find your love for basketball and those early roots growing up. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I was born in Portland um, when my family, when I was in second grade, my family, we moved from Portland um, to Vancouver, Washington, uh, which is right across the river. It's, you know, the... It's 15 minutes or so um, with no traffic from where I was born to where we moved. Um, and it was just on the outskirts of Vancouver, Prairie High School. Many people say it's Brush Prairie, like you just mentioned. That's the high school I ended up going to. Um, and and so, yeah, that was that was the early part of, of my life. But I guess, you know, to answer the question about where did I find my love for basketball, I think one of those things is with, with young kids – they tend to gravitate towards something um, many times. Sometimes it's a sport. Sometimes it's an activity. Maybe sometimes nowadays it might be, you know, uh, technology with an app and like editing videos at a young age. I mean, what kids can do on their phones and all that in iPads are, is ridiculous these days. But yeah. for me, I fell in love with basketball early on. I mean, I remember in Portland, I had three basketball hoops and this was, I was six, seven, eight years old before we moved. We had one in the basement, uh, which was like probably six feet high at the time. Cause I was little, we had one in our driveway above our garage, which was regulation 10 feet, which I couldn't really shoot at the time. Cause I was small. And then we, we had one on our, our, in, in our backyard, we had a small backyard, but we had a, a backboard and a rim, uh, on a tree. So I remember distinctly, having three hoops at a young age and never being able to get enough basketball. Um, that was always what I gravitated to always wanted to do. You know, I had friends that, you know, we preschool kindergarten, whatnot. And and we liked, you know, star Wars at the time was just out. Um, so we, we would kind of do that stuff, but it always, at the end of the day, came, came back down to basketball. I'd play soccer. I play baseball, but, at the end of the day, I'd come back, want to play basketball. And then it no different when we moved to Vancouver, um, had a hoop in our driveway. We had a barn. We put a hoop up in the barn. 
Um, and then later on, we were able to, to join an athletic club where, you know, when I was kind of in those, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old ages, and then get my license at 16. If you wanted to know where I was at, I was probably at that athletic club working out or I was in my driveway shooting hoops. Wow. Wow. So where does that, like, where does that come from? Were your parents hardworking? Like that's not normal for a kid to be doing that stuff, especially, especially in those teenage years There's so many distractions. What, I mean, obviously you probably point to your love, but like, I'm going to challenge you here. Like where really like, does that come from? Was it modeled in front of you or, you know, the passion you have all that stuff? Like what's the roots of that? No, that's a great question. That's a loaded question. You know, I mean, I, you know, my dad was an extremely hard worker, um, you know, with what he did. And I probably saw, I, I did see that and I modeled some stuff after him. But to me, if you love something as much as I loved basketball as a kid growing up, it's really not hard work. Like it's, I, I guess maybe the best way to put it is joyful work. Like, you're going to tell me I get to go shoot a hundred more shots or you get, you're telling me I, I go to another basketball camp or clinic. Fine. Sign me up. Let's go. You know, I, I would be tired at the end of the day, but I always, even from a young age found myself as being that one kid who, um, you know, say for example, you're like, like most high schools in, in the States. And I would imagine a lot of in Canada to do the same thing. You know, you'll have your, your high school basketball camp where, you know, the high school program and the coaches get to know who's up and coming in the school district that are probably going to go to that high school. And, and I can remember, say, for example, it was a three hour camp. Mm -hmm. I would want to get there an hour early so that like I was ready to go. My shoes were all tied perfectly. You know, I was warmed up so that the second the coach blew the whistle and you came in. I was at the front of the line. I was paying attention. I was doing everything. And then I would always want to be, you know, as long as my parents weren't in a rush to get somewhere, I tried to stay as long as I could. Um, and so that's kind of the approach I always had. That's the way I always kind of did things. Um, and, you know, again, for me, it was joyful work. It wasn't like, oh, I, I got to do this. I got to do this. And I honestly, you know, that carried all the way through. And I'm sure you, you might ask some questions as we get going about college and my pro career. It never seemed like work to me, even, you know, towards the end of my career. Um, it never seemed like work. Now it seemed like work when I was in a training room because I was battling injuries. But the basketball stuff never felt like work. For sure. Wow. Really cool. And so, you know, obviously you go to UW and stuff and you've talked about, you know, your episode uh, with Mike on his podcast was absolutely incredible going through all that, that process, but you end up at Gonzaga and it's all this stuff that you're talking about, man, what a perfect fit into that culture. And so like, talk to me a little bit about what it was like to join a culture of guys like that coaches that strive for excellence and really just the incredible things you were able to do there. You know, you have your Jersey uh, number retired up, up there in the rafters, like just so cool. Talk a little bit about those years and specifically like what it was like to live, breathe that culture. Well, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about when I'd go to a basketball camp and I'd be early and I'd, I'd give it my all. And then I, I would stay as long as I could. When, when I was in high school, my high school basketball program, uh, my high school experience was not good my freshman year. I made varsity halfway through the year but we weren't a winning program. We got a new coach who instilled a lot of different 
culture kind of, you know, culture is a buzzword now, but he, he still did a lot of different philosophies and, and approaches that the previous coach didn't. But sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, the change. Um, and so we kind of gradually, you know, I don't want to say weeded out the bad kids because that wasn't the right, that's not the right term, but there was a culture of work ethic that was brought from this new coach that fit me and aligned with me perfectly well. And also with the group of guys that were my class in mm-hmm. high school. And so we kind of carried that forward. Uh, and then, you know, I had an opportunity to, to like, as you mentioned, go to the university of Washington and I thought that was the right place for me when I signed. And, and when I went there early in my career, I, I saw some, some opportunities, but I got it, my career got stalled due to some injuries and some other things. And then when you take a step back through injuries and you're looking at it is like, okay, some of these things don't line up with what I envisioned. Some of these things, things don't line up with what I want out of my career, both individually and personally. And at that time, you know, Gonzaga, my sophomore year at UW is when Gonzaga made their first run to the elite eight, Richie mm-hmm. from Santangelo, Casey Calvary, you know, Mike Nelson, who you mentioned, um, and Casey Calvary was an AAU teammate of mine. Richie Fromm was a, a friend of mine from like fourth grade growing up. And we were AAU teammates, high school rivals, a high school teammate of mine who was a year younger was redshirting at Gonzaga that year. Uh, you know, I'm seeing all these guys and like, they are achieving what they want as a team by making it to the elite eight, but they're also enjoying themselves and maximizing their own individual opportunities within the framework of a team that wants to win and win for the right reasons and win the right way, you know? And so, you know, by the grace of God, you know, things happened after during my sophomore year where I got hurt. I saw it from a different perspective. Uh, I saw, you know, a, a opportunity to transfer. I made that initial reach out to the Gonzaga coaching staff, took a visit and, and you know, all these things aligned and then you see like, Hey, this is perfect. I need to make the move. And I decided to make the move to Gonzaga and, you know, jump in with, with both feet and not looking back. And I think that was part of the reason why I was uh, successful. I, I had success. Our team had success. Um, but there were so many different factors that went into that move. So many different factors that allowed me to have success. And a lot of it, to be honest, was, you know, you kind of touched on some of the things around the program. Well, it's the guys around the program. It was the coaches and their philosophies and their implementation of the philosophies that really fit me and what I needed to be able to maximize my own opportunities. Right. So off of that, you know, you talked about and even um, just like the injuries that you went through at UW in your career, how has like a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success or like like do you have like a favorite failure of yours maybe a, a weird way to word it but obviously like you know everyone it's it's the whole thing with success right you you make all the shots because you you missed all the ones you were practicing right it's repetition so like talk a little bit about you know a failure that comes to mind that really ended up being for you wow that's a that's a really good question um you know, I, I think a good way to answer that is I'm someone who is, has never been afraid to fail and get up and try again. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where in the game of basketball, not everybody wants to take 
the quote unquote game winning shot. They don't want to take that last shot. They'd love to have the accolades and the praise if it goes in, but then they're afraid to walk into a locker room if they miss it uh, based on the looks that they might get from teammates or they might get from fans or, or media or whatnot. I never really was worried about that. I I believed in the work that I put in and, and prepared myself with that. I wanted the challenge uh, of taking those big shots. Um, so I think that's something, you know, if, to, another way to answer that question, you know, an apparent failure. My freshman year um, at University of Washington, there was, I, as a freshman, I played good minutes. I, I think I played about 12 minutes a game. Um, on a team that went to the Sweet 16, and I played really well in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I remember distinctly two games that freshman year that I didn't get in, and it ate at me like no other in the offseason. And that would have been at Oregon State, which really hurt because I'm obviously from the Portland, Vancouver area. Oregon State's about an hour and 40-minute drive, um, and I had family and friends that that went – to that game and I didn't get in the other one would have been against Stanford at home. And that was when Stanford was really good. I think they were probably top 12, top 15 at the time. Um, I didn't get in that game as well. And I remember things like that would drive me like, I'm not good enough to play in this game. Okay. Well, I guess I got some more work to do. It, it becomes a little different when you get to the NBA. I had plenty of DNPs uh, based on matchups. I had plenty of DNPs uh, based on, Hey, you're probably healthy enough to play coming off this injury, but you know what? You're probably not quite healthy enough to guard that guy. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's something that drove me during the course of my career. Wow. So, yeah, it's so incredible. You need know, the chip on your shoulder. I, I love that. Uh, you know, talk about you fighting your way into the NBA. Like I said, like when I listened to that other podcast episode, the way you told it, I was like, I need to talk to this dude and get him on my podcast because I just loved your mindset through it all and just knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And then, you know, you break through it, but talk to me about, you know, your initial phase in that, in the NBA and and how you approached it. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was that kid. We kind of talked about early on that. I love basketball. I, I at second, third grade, you know, I was the kid who, the first day of school, whatever, the first week back. Hey, what did you do on summer break? And what do you want to do with your life? All I did this summer was play basketball in my driveway. I want to play in the NBA. Chuckles, chuckles, chuckles from, you know, classmates, friends, teachers like, oh, okay, well, you know, what's your, what do you really want to do? I'm like, no, that's what I want to do. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I, I listened to that, but I also didn't listen to that. I think too many people these days kind of listen to what other people say and just, Okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe I can't do it. Well, I didn't listen to that. And I'm glad I didn't because if you were to see me walking down the street a block away, I'm six foot. I'm about 190 pounds. Uh, when I played in the NBA, I was about 180. During college, I was 190. So I, I didn't look imposing in any, any way, shape, or form. Um, but I didn't let my perceived physical limitations limit what I thought I could do or what I wanted to do and how I was going to work to to give me my best shot to achieve those. So I always continue to work at it uh, as if, you know, I just need to get a little bit better. I just need to get a little bit better because, you know, 
I wasn't going to be a one and done guy in the NBA. I was going to have to be a guy that uh, proved it throughout the course of my career. And then when I was in the situation leading up to going into the NBA draft, whether it was after my junior year, which I had some people telling me I should leave and it didn't cross my mind for more than about two minutes that I was going to come back for my senior year. Or then after my senior year preparing, like I, my whole mindset was get ready in the moment so that when that true opportunity comes, I'm ready. Uh, and so you just keep working. It's one of those kind of mantras that's used probably too many times, but be in the moment. Like I was always, I had that big long range goal that probably most people would say that's not attainable. You can't do it. But if you don't stay in the moment and keep working, you won't achieve that long range goal. And it continued on in the NBA, to be honest with you, because, you know, some people have asked me or, or said, did you enjoy being in the NBA? 100%. It was unbelievable. It was awesome. But then at the same time, you know, now that I'm, you know, 12, 13, 14 years removed from it, I wish I would have taken a step back at times and appreciated it a little bit more. Not that I didn't appreciate it, not that I didn't enjoy it. Um, but when you're, when you're a, for lack of a better term, a fringe guy <laughs> battling for minutes, battling for a roster spot, if, if you're not fighting every day to get better, you're taking the wrong approach. It's not like I was a, you know, a, a you're easily here. You're our starter. You're playing 30 minutes a game kind of guy. And you could take a day off with, with your approach and your work ethic. That wasn't the case. So I always had to kind of work at it day by day and, and really focus in. So what, you know, obviously through those times, I imagine there was some stressful times, like how, what, what would you do? How would you deal with like overwhelm or, you know, that leading to being unfocused or just, like there's a lot going on and even just kind of like the fact that every single day you're really trying to take minutes from other people. How did you like mentally cope with that uh, and, and keep yourself on that track to have that long career that you had? Uh, you know, I mean, it was something where I remember there was a a kind of a individual trainer that would work with me occasionally growing up. Now individual trainers are left and right. You find them all over the place. But I had a coach who would occasionally work with me. And I remember early in my rookie year when I wasn't playing, you know, we were talking about a number of different things. And, and <laughs> you know, he was like, you're here. You're getting paid to do what you love. Don't worry about this, that, the other. Just keep getting better and staying ready for your chance, your opportunity, your time, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and so that's that kind of conversation with him, conversation with some other coaches that I've had, you know, reinvigorated and, and re-strengthened that kind of thought that I had is like, hey, just get better every single day. Be ready for your opportunities. When they come, make the most of them. And, you know, professionals, college sports are weird. You know, sometimes you might be better than the guy in front of you, but it it based on some certain things or play that they that guy may have made at one point that earned trust in the coaching staff puts you slightly ahead of him on the pecking board. Pro sports are no different, but it might even be more so on steroids because of the fact that you throw money involved and a general manager doesn't want to be proved wrong when he signed an offseason signing to a large deal or an owner um, ha has preference to play a certain player because they bought that draft pick or they made that 
uh, trade to get that draft pick. So they want to see that player work out uh, as opposed to somebody else. It's a really unique beast. Um, but the biggest thing is every day. You, you got to bring it every day. You got to be ready every day because you never know when your opportunities are going to come. Mm-hmm. What were some of your pre and post game routines like, or even on like a, a practice day, like what would that 60 minutes uh, right after you wake up look like? Like I just give me an idea of what that process was. Yeah. You know, they, most teams, you know, uh, take you through a practice day real quick. Most teams uh, at that time would practice at 10 a.m. Uh, you know, since NBA with their their research and their technology and, and their forward thinking, a lot of coaches have moved practice back to like 12 or one o'clock just because of, you know, you get done with a game the night before you don't get to your house or you're traveling. And so they kind of work on that that sleep model of figuring out the optimal amount of sleep. Um, but, you know, for example, a typical practice when I was playing would have been 10 a.m. Um, and if it was a home game or if, if I was at home, for example, I had a 35, 40 minute drive. I would always get to practice about an hour before and I would get um, I would it would be if I had an injury, I would be there about an hour and a half before. If I had no injury and I didn't need training room time, it would be an hour before I'd get a 30 minute um lift in and a 30 minute shooting workout in and then usually that would leave a few minutes left to kind of just clear your head and get ready before practice begins wherever that would lead you with the coaching staff sometimes it would be film as a group or individually sometimes it would be straight into practice but usually it'd be an hour before and then your whole practice time and then afterwards uh with practice would be typically about another 30 40 minutes of of skill work normally shooting and then if you've got an injury at the time, you're making sure you take care of your body. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest thing I think for me was finding a routine of being early for everything. A mm. normal game day practice, I'd be an hour early. A shoot around practice, I'd probably be 45 minutes early because you knew you weren't going to go through as much stuff uh, and or be as rigorous. Um, and plus, you wanted to be somewhat fresh for the game that night. Now, if I was... In the rotation, that might be trimmed down um, to 30 minutes before. If I wasn't getting a lot of minutes at the time, I'd, I'd make sure that, you know, 45 minutes or so before I was going hard to keep my cardiovascular, my my wind up and ready for for if I got an opportunity in games. But I think the the thing for athletes is we're creatures of habit. Like you as a football player, you probably know you got position coach meeting, you got weight room at this time, you got full team practice this time. There's so many things as an athlete that you kind of get in a rhythm with and you try not to throw it off too much. So I would always try to be there early and make sure that nothing threw me off my, off my routine. Nice. Yeah, that's really, you're definitely right. It's, it's good just ingraining these habits into my soul for the rest of my life. Like I'll be up before the sun uh, for a good portion of the rest of my life. I can tell you that much, but what other issues stick out to you in career that, that you had to overcome? I know it's kind of a broad question, but like really kind of along the lines of like, if you go back to, you know, rookie, rookie Dan, what, what would you say to him? I know you talked a little bit more about being in the moment, but is there anything else that stick out to you? Maybe even back before you get into university? Yeah. I think one of the things that, many times is overlooked in certain players careers is do you have a mentor that isn't threatened by you that is going to help you 
Um, you know, and that's harder to come by than I think a lot of people understand and realize. Because think about it this way. If you're a freshman and say there's a junior and senior at the same position, guess what? They know you're coming for their minutes or their opportunities. Um, and a lot of them will sense that and not and do everything they can not to help. Uh, you know, for example, my freshman year at University of Washington, the other two point guards on the roster were both seniors. Now, I personally felt that I was better than them. Physically, I wasn't ready, um, you know, to 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 play 32, 34 minutes a game, whatever it was at that physical level in the Pac-10. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't do me any favors, that's for sure. Um, you know, I got to Gonzaga. It was a great opportunity for me to learn with no kind of animosity. Matt Santangelo was a senior. I was redshirting because at the time when you transferred, you you had to redshirt. So it was a perfect situation for me to like, I'm going to put Matt, push Matt just as hard as I can in practice. And he's going to push me just as hard as, as he feels he needs to, or he can, knowing that I'm not coming after his minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting him ready. And in turn, he probably knows that I'm getting him ready to a certain extent because I'm giving him my all uh, as a good player at that stretch. So I think that's a kind of an un, untalked about unknown things many times in the college game. And I think it's a it's a detriment with, right now with the fact that transfers are just automatically eligible to play. I, I disagree with that rule. And I, and, and I think the redshirt was one of the best things ever to happen to me. But if you take that and look at the NBA, I never had a player outside of maybe one guy, and I'll touch on him in this answer, that really kind of maybe did some mentoring to me. Um, My rookie year, came into Atlanta. You know, we had Jason Terry, who I knew from high school, being in the Northwest. Great guy. Good teammate. We're playing the same position. He's trying to get a big contract. Why is he going to help me? <laughs> if I if he helps me and I start playing well, I take away his minutes, his shots. It wasn't going to happen. You know, the the second year they brought in another uh, point guard, Jacques Vaughn, uh, after I had kind of struggled with injuries in the offseason. They bring him in. He's a completely different player than me as far as skill set and approach to the game and what he brings to a team and what he values. Mm-hmm. He's not going to support me. He's not going to help me. He wants the same exact thing I want. He, I, I want minutes so I can get another contract. He wants minutes so he can get another contract. So we never, it, it was never good there. Um, you know, other spots in my career, you know, during this, during the same, we're in the same scenario, the same situation. The one player I wanted to mention that, that was a mentor to a certain extent to me was Avery Johnson. And this was going into my third year in Dallas. I had been traded a number of times. Uh, I got traded to Dallas from Golden State, who I never played for because I got traded in the offseason twice. And, you know, I basically fit the contract description or how the salaries had to slot together uh, for it to work. And so I go into training camp was the odd man out. Avery Johnson knew this was his last year as a player. But Dallas and Mark Cuban – and that front office essentially signed Avery Johnson for a roster spot, knowing they were just grooming him to be a coach. It was basically known like Avery didn't practice. He didn't do the workouts leading up into the training camp. He didn't go through most of practice and training camp. Uh, and within a short 
kind of stretch of time, you know, I lived there a month before camp started and then throughout camp, you know, there was something different about Avery and he realized uh, that I was putting everything up forward that I could to be a good player and to make it work. Even though on the outside looking in, I was the roster. I was the guy on the roster that was going to get cut because of the numbers. Right. So lo and behold, kind of this whole thing shakes out. Avery's been a, a bit tremendous support through me all to me, all of training camp. Avery Johnson retires essentially to open up a roster spot for me because he knew he wasn't there to play. He was there to coach and learn to coach, but he had signed a contract essentially so they, they could pay him as a player, but groom him as a coach. And so, you know, I had only spent the month before training camp, training camp. And then I was with the Mavericks for about two and a half months before I got traded to new Orleans, which gave me my big opportunity to play, but he would have been really the only comparable position player that really kind of poured into me in the NBA at that time. And looking back, I get it. Like it's a cutthroat business. You're looking out for your minutes. You're looking out for the best interest of your career. But if you look at the best organizations, they have enough of the guys that take that Avery Johnson approach um, of being selfless enough in a professional me, me, me environment to make things really work for a team. Wow. What an incredible story and what a gem. Like that is, that to me is, um, you know, like that servant leadership really like you're talking about and you're so right. It, I've seen it here, guys take guys under the wing and then, you know, you can see it starts to really clue into them that, uh Oh, like these, this guy might take a little bit of opportunity from me. Um, really cool. I haven't heard anyone else talk about that. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. Last couple of questions here. So I ask everybody this question. There, there's nothing, nothing that you've done, nothing behind you. Your, your, your number getting retired. Shoot 360. Everything is gone, and the only thing you can leave to your kids are three um, beliefs, ideas, uh, concepts of, about going about life. Just three things. They don't even know what your name is. Nothing else is left behind except these three things. What are those three things that you're going to leave to them? Wow. That is, uh, that's, that's big, you know, um, and being human, you fail at this all the time, but you, you try to talk about it and you try to instill it. Um, you know, faith in God, Christ, you know, that to me and our family is, is very important. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing would be, you know, believing in family and helping family. You know, I've got a large family. We've got a number of kids and and we try to go to each kid's event um, as best we can, but depending on what other kids have. But, you know, we try to always be supportive and be at, at each other's events. Um, so family. And then the third would be just hard work and belief. I, I guess that's two, but hard work can overcome so many things. Belief in yourself and that hard work can help you overcome so many things. Um, you know, it's, it's, that that's a really good question. That's, that's a loaded question. Cause there's so many ways that you can go about it. Um, but the biggest thing I think for me has always been when I've coached my boys in basketball and different things, or I've coached in different clinics, you, there, there are certain non-negotiables that you just have to do fundamentally but you also have to work at it. you like, you can't cheat the game. Like you as a football player, 
you you can't cheat that extra rep. You can't cheat that extra film session. You you got it. There there's a bare minimum you have to do, and you got to get past that if you really want to be good. Um, and so I think you know that for that third piece of that, those three answers, you know, you got to work at it daily. It, it's got to be ingrained in you that that's what you do. Mm. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So last question here, the name of the podcast is the Make It Happen podcast, right? So when you hear Make It Happen uh, and really just in your life, like what does it mean to make it happen? What does making it happen mean to you? I think it goes back to similar to the the last answer I gave to the last question. For me, I've always had a faith that that, you know, God's got a plan for me, but I have to be ready for when those opportunities that are presented that I can make the most of them. Um, and then you have to work to prepare for those opportunities. You know, I, I think if you want to make it happen and whatever it is, football, basketball, being a 4.0 student, very rarely does it just happen. And yes, for some people it does. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not jealous of those people without at all you know some people are are six eight athletic you know you just look at them you're like hey you're going to be uh, a first round draft pick within one or two years of graduating high school i'm sure you've seen it in football like some guys just physically get it right mm -hmm. some guys can just throw that spiral perfectly on time and on target 50 yards down and hit that tiny window for the receiver to catch it some guys just have it other guys have to work at it and so i think the big thing is just continuing to stay with it and work at it and make it happen. As you mentioned, is the, is the title of the podcast. Everybody's making it comes at a different time. You just have to be ready for your own time. Like I always believed I was going to play in the NBA, partly because I dreamed about it since I was little. I had a big belief in myself, but I also knew there was no way I was making the NBA straight out of high school when which was okay to do at the time you could go straight from high school yeah that wasn't happening my freshman year wasn't happening <laughs> sophomore year after injuries at UW no I had to transfer so just knowing that you can't you have to do all the work but you can't also can't rush the time and the opportunities and you got to be prepared for when those time and opportunities present themselves because I think too many people get tied into Hey, what's that person's time frame? What how old are they? When when did they do this? No, your time frame is your own time frame. Um, and and it's and it should be right for you. If you're ready when your opportunity comes, it doesn't matter if you're three months older or three months younger than you wanted to be, it's the right time. There you go. There's Dan. I hope y'all enjoyed. Let me know what you guys thought. There should be a poll underneath the episode. Let me know what you think. What's the one thing? that you're going to take from this episode to apply into your life. If your life doesn't change after listening to this podcast, then what was the point? So go apply it. There was so much in there. I hope you guys enjoyed. Go check Dan and all his stuff that he's doing out on Instagram and all the social media platforms. He's got some incredible stuff going. And so, like I said, again, I really appreciate the support. I hope that you get value from this stuff and keep making it happen. You owe it to you to go after your dream life. Make it happen. Out.